Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bowen. And for this week's horrific chat, we're joined by a very special guest to discuss the elegant and terrifying journey into the mind of a tortured artist in 2016's Layers of Fear. Developed by Bloober Team, players will explore the disturbed mind of a painter struggling to complete his magnum opus in the 1920s. The player will explore his Victorian mansion on a dark and stormy night, all the while deciphering the painter's increasingly bizarre hallucinations as they uncover clues to his sordid past. But it isn't just Neil and I chatting haunted houses, combatless horror, and tortured artists, as we're joined by a fellow Bloody FM alum and the host of Nightlight, a horror movie podcast, Prince Jackson. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very, very excited to be here right now. <laughs> we are very excited to have you, and we cannot wait to dig into this game that we briefly chatted about early in Safe Room's history, but uh, we didn't really do a deep dive into it. We more focused on you know, how it presented horror, but removed the combat aspect. Um, but I'm really excited to kind of dig into this in the unique way in which it goes about uh, telling a story that some might say is familiar in terms of like the tortured artist trope, but I think we'll get to the bottom of uh, what makes Layers of Fear such a standout at uh, doing such. But Absolutely. before we chat about the game, you know, before we were recording, you were telling us that uh, you actually had what sounds like that's kind of like a dream gig. Uh, you were a horror movie consultant for the Dead Space remake, um, which, like I said, is probably the coolest sounding gig uh, out there. But uh, <laughs> I would love for you to you know, detail a little bit for us what that entailed um, and sort of what your day to day was like with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it was interesting. It, it, the whole process took about two years. Um, but when EA first approached me, I thought it was a joke. I didn't assume that they wanted me to be on this project. So I'm just like, this is fake. Like, this is spam, whatever. Because I, I get emails all the time from people who are just like, check out our chair. And, and it leads to nothing. It's just like, I'll say like, yeah, I kind of want to check that chair out. And I get ghosted or they'll start sending me a bunch of spam. But <laughs> so I thought it was one of those. Um, and I was like, you know what? Let me deep dive a little bit more because this sounds cool. They didn't say it was for Dead Space at the time. It was it was just a horror video game project that they were working on. And um, I checked LinkedIn to like make sure they were they were who they said they were. And it was legit. <laughs> they were actually who they said they were. So I responded and I had an interview. So they interviewed me first um, and finally at the end of the interview they had me sign an nda immediately and then after i signed that nda they shared that it was actually dead space that they were working on and i lost my fucking mind <laughs> but when when i started the process it was a, a few others on the list as well which i can now say who those other folks were but it was folks from rooster teeth um ign uh, spawn on me so all of these these big video game heads um in like the social circle however most of them were streamers obviously so none of them truly had the background that i had uh so my role was a, a, initially a little bit more unique than theirs pretty much my role was does this make sense from a horror fans perspective my goal was to get people who've never played dead space before into the game 
Um, and from a horror movie fan's perspective, did it match? Were we straying too far away from Event Horizon? Were we going too close to Event Horizon? Were we going to Star Wars? Like, so it was, it was a lot of methods to where, um, adding things for like the darkness, making sure that, uh, there weren't too many of those like shimmery particles when we see like The Last of Us, for example, when you're in a dark area, it's very shimmery. <laughs> um, so taking a lot of that away, um, making the game a lot darker and having the focal point yeah. be really on you and your gun being the method of how you're able to see. So that was a lot of my role. Um, and that's what I was mainly consulted on. And I would I got to see a lots and lots of things played multiple demos of the game before it came out and um finally we landed on the product that you now have which is uh currently in a lot of people's homes so yeah (laughs) (laughs) i guess i'm curious you know was there an aspect of getting to kind of see behind that curtain of game development that really surprised you because you know i think that neil and i both have a background in uh you know and currently review games right and chat about games constantly And, you know, I think over time with more sort of either documentaries or just, you know, developers having more of a platform, um, we have more insight. But of course, you know, not being there, uh, you know, behind the scenes like you were, um, we don't know all the intricacies of that. So I'm curious, you know, was there an aspect that really surprised you about game dev that, you know, even somebody like yourself going into it and kind of knowing what to expect to a certain degree was surprised by? Yeah, actually, um, there were a few methods that I was completely just caught on in the dark in. And one of those methods, uh, pr- pretty much being the uh, aspect of level design and how many layers it takes to actually design a level and uh, things to even like think about and consider where they would design each piece of like, for example, let's say uh, a bench, they would design that bench by itself at first and then they would add the lighting effects before it's even put into the level itself and then they would actually see like does this bench even make sense here that was the stuff that surprised me where i the little minute details that go into um making a game like for me when obviously being a gamer and at that time i was just like all right, cool. They probably just have a, a template and they just will lay out that <laughs> template and go from there or whatever. But um, for them to like go by to add as much grain, uh, do we want a blood stain on it? Do we want the blood stain to look different from that blood stain? So all of that just really was uh, surprising to me. And Dead Space, the um, the motive team um, over at Dead Space, they did a really good job at making everything seem not as much the same as everything else. Um, One thing that they weren't able to do that I was really, really banking on, I wanted them to make more of the creatures have personalities to them. Um, Weren't They weren't really able to kind of fit that in. And I think that was just due to a time thing Um, because I've always thought it was cool when when we have that general like changing in that operation room. And it's kind of that mini boss battle that you have going on in there. I thought that was really cool to actually see like, holy shit, it's Jen. Or, you know, so like it, like I love that moment um, and I wanted more of that. And uh, I guess in some ways, The Last of Us, The Last of Us Part Two mainly did that really well. Um, they added it in part one for the the remastered, but still like that was something that I felt like is a really cool way to bring more breath into this world that we're actually going on. But uh, 
it was still pretty cool that you can actually just travel the whole ship from start to finish. Oh, yeah. Like that was yeah. still pretty cool. <laughs> we couldn't do that in 2006. So that was still pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that that was like a, a staggering thing about the remake. It was just having played like the original week before I got to review it. I was just amazed at how different it felt in that regard, where the illusion of the original game just had already faded somewhat in terms of like interconnected spaces, hubs. This is just, no, 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 this is just the thing. This is everything like that. Like more so than, more so than Resi remake for Resi 4 remake, where, you know, it's still kind of like section, section, section. You can go back, but it still does feel disconnected in places. Um, yeah. Ishimura just felt like a place, which is, you know, one of my favorite sort of sci-fi horror games is Prey. And, you know, the Talos One station in that feels like one big place. Exactly. You know, in the way, and that's more to do with illusion in a lot of ways. But I, I imagine there must have been some of that game in mind of motive when it came to making Dead Space. Cause yeah. It just brought that back there was a few different games that were um that were brought to mind in it and uh the original creative director from dead space in 2006 um was there uh so they were they were on the panel as well and when they would even like talk about certain aspects of like wanting to make a not an entirely different game but wanted to make a better game than what they previously made was really cool and just like what you said like a lot of inspirational pieces were brought into it for sure. And um, even aspects of like the, uh, I mean, the main city that it was made in, in San Francisco um, or in the Bay area um, like was brought into that as well. I mean, the, the main station cars and things like that were actually mimicked after the BART um, station (laughs) in San Francisco, which is our little subway system. And um, that, and even the sounds of like how it makes and things like that were, uh, were like kind of like sounded just like how it usually sounds here. Um, So it was, it was really cool. Like Easter eggs like that, that they added in there as well, that I thought was pretty solid, even though the motive team is mainly from Montreal, it it was still a really cool uh, homage to kind of like place that in there because the original creative director was from the Bay Area. So like that, that was still really cool that they incorporated that like a nice little love letter to them as well. Um, But I can tell you now, like they were kind of like shitting bricks when uh, (laughs) um, uh, what was the Kalis? Uh, protocol the Calisto protocol Pro- Calisto, yeah, yeah protocol. yes Calisto protocol um they were pretty they're like when that got announced they were in panic mode at that point they're like oh my god <laughs> like what what are we gonna do and then the, re- the reviews came out and they're like we're good like <laughs> we're, we're solid <laughs> we're, we're, we're fine <laughs> so. yeah i mean even after that it was still really surprising just how you know, accomplished it was yeah right. i mean absolutely considering yeah, because you know, there were always things you could do better with the original Dead Space, and it, as we were just dis- when we discussed it a few episodes ago, it was you know, said so Dead Space Two kind of just added that little extra, you know, parts of that came back into Dead Space Remake. You know, it's, exactly, um, great. So yeah, it's going to be great when the second one gets done because to make that feel like a whole place will be very impressive. Oh my god. Yeah, I I know they're probably going to do it again. I have no words on it right now. I know that they're working yeah. on um, a different game currently that is not Dead Space mm. related. Um, I don't know if I can announce that or not, but uh, so I won't. <laughs> but <laughs> but they are working on something else. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it is the type of thing like we chatted about on the show for our review of uh, the remake, right? And it was that there, so there were so many elements that we talked about before we had actually gotten to play the game that had been announced about changes or, you know, improvements in these things. And when we finally got our hands on it, it was kind of mind blowing how mm. seamless it felt and how it didn't kind of give us the pause that you might if you experience like new features in a series or something like that, because right. it is implemented in a way that just felt so natural to it, whether it's, you know, a feature such as being able to traverse the entire ship in sort of seamless nature, which, you know, was always hope the dream, but was not capable of uh, actually bringing to fruition in 2006. But just like the level of care and sort of what you'd been speaking to, right? The fact that they could throw in these little homages that, you know, most people aren't going to notice, right. but that's almost how you want to handle little details like that, exactly. right? You don't want yes. them to be these big sort of like exclamation marks of like, well, I mean, it looks different, but it doesn't look like it fits. Like right. that was never the our experience with, uh, you know, the remake and whatnot. And just the fact that you were able to change little aspects maybe of an environment or an entire area. But if anything, you know, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it until you almost like leave that area you're like oh right. that was slightly different because mm -hmm. in the moment you'd be like you don't really want to notice those things it's more just like taking in this environment in a new way that Absolutely. kind of if anything just makes the love for dead space be reinvigorated and you know that's why we when we chatted about it we described it as being like the new benchmark for remakes right because we both hold uh resident evil 2 remake up there pretty high up there Fair. but then the dead space remake <laughs> came out and then we have the Resi 4 remake that came out. And, you know, it's really great to sort of see this through line of remakes, even if it's different franchises, but it's being helmed by creatives that, you know, have a great not only understanding of what made the original so special, but I would say more importantly, they know how to smartly make it their own to a certain degree. Absolutely. Um, and that was definitely, you know, the case with Dead Space, which we found. Absolutely. And I also feel like remakes are definitely more beloved in the uh gamer community than it is for like yes. a horror <laughs> film for, like, yeah. no, which, we, yeah. no. <laughs> it, it's understandable isn't it there right but it, it's it's awesome to even see like those remakes and and um to even get them in, in a better sense in a better light as well i mean because the re2 remake for for me that was i was like fuck this is it this is it like this is this is huge <laughs> like this is this is exactly what i want i i want I, I want every single remake from now on to just follow in their footsteps. Um, and, you know, Dead Space did take a lot of notes from the RE2 remake as well um, and wanted to encapsulate that. We, I mean, not me, but the Motive team did play a lot of um, Resident Evil 2 for homework mm. and trying to like really break down how those controls felt and how, how they had the aspect of over the shoulder and things like that. So um, that new camera method that we have in Dead Space that was that was uh, because of RE2 um mm. where we have this kind of old, over the shoulder method um to where you you're able to see all the aspects of the damages that are happening to you as well as you kind of go along um and it 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 was interesting when you changed like your suit in something like if you had like a special edition suit like i don't know if you guys uh, were had a chance to get the uh the necromorph suit yeah and, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so like yeah. Yeah. obviously with that nothing's going to really happen to it because it's already just like <laughs> it's great but uh yeah so with that uh particular aspect 
it was just interesting to see how much they brought in from that uh, inspiration of those game mechanics from Resident Evil 2 into into Dead Space. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I think remakes work better in games just because of the relative infancy of the genre, you know, this whole medium. Right. Yeah, and exactly. You know, it, you know that's why it's, you know, in cinema you got away with remakes a lot at that point because we didn't have the cynicism of oh they're only remaking it because. Um, you know, money, which yeah, it's still true, but sure, right? Yeah, you know, there, are, there, there are places you can take it technologically, and you know, with different styles and ideas and concepts that come along, and we are still in that sort of period, really, where you can go back to a game that was made fifteen years ago and go, we could do that better. We, we could make a better version of that because there's just those little things that didn't work then that when you go back to it now that we can totally make right, and that's why they're so well beloved because a lot of people will come into it late and go well i don't really want to play a game on a system you know four generations back now you know, I, I'd, exactly. even with backwards compatibility that's not always preferable for many people so yeah it makes Absolutely. sense for i mean we'll probably get to a, a tipping point where it'd be like we don't really need a remake of this again but you know so. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at you skyrim <laughs> yeah <laughs> You don't need a 17th console to play that. <laughs> They'll be like, look, we haven't quite figured out the next one yet. We're just going to remake this one more time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I suppose this is a good takeaway, isn't it? I was going to say, because here's a developer that is going to travel on that same train. You know, he's going to yeah. make a beloved game and probably hasn't quite had the uh, excitement levels it should have for it. But, you know, we, as we've discussed before. I'm stoked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, and as we said on here before, it, this is the studio that has the most of the original people involved, you know, so right. with that game. So, yeah, Jay, I'll let you take that from there. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, I think that that's a really sort of special opportunity, too, because they're coming to it in merging the first game, obviously the DLC, but then also the second game. And without getting too much into the second game, it was the type of thing where the shift from Layers of Fear 1 to 2, they're connected thematically, right? And I'm sure maybe there's some story nuance or something that I missed, but it's not this, you know, straight from A to B continuation that most people expect from kind of typical sequels. And so I think that, you know, the Layers of Fear remake that's coming soon is the type of thing that like is a very special opportunity to not only have those creatives coming back, but to see how they're able to bridge the gap between each piece of the, you know, the puzzle so far of Layers of Fear, while also adding new content to it. And so I think that, you know, we're in this sort of remake haze, we're basically being spoiled right over the last uh, few years. But it's the type of thing where it makes me even more excited to dive into something like Layers of Fear 2, which personally, and we chatted about on the show, I wasn't a huge fan of, but this kind of is the magic of remakes in that you can kind of give new life to something or obviously go back and sort of rewrite or tweak things. Um, And I think that that makes for such a very interesting opportunity just again to bridge that gap in a way that's more than just sort of continuing with the, you know, traumatized artist or whatnot Um, and just seeing how they could expand that world to, you know, there's like a lighthouse aspect to it. That's going to tie everything together and just see like what new avenues of storytelling that they can tell uh, in this remake. Because, you know, if anything, I would say, The original Layers of Fear, what made it really sort of like a trendsetter in a way, because, you know, as we'll get into, there's plenty of games that have tried to do what Layers of Fear does. 
to a much lesser degree, I would say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is that type of narrative-driven horror game that lacks combat, which, you know, there have been plenty of horror games like that, but I think that they definitely became more popular with something like PT, with something like right. Layers of Fear that just picks up that ball and kind of ran with it. Right. Um, so I'm curious, you know, in your opinion, what do you think is like a strength of horror games that choose to, you know, omit combat from them? You know, I I think when you omit combat from a, a a horror game or a game in general, like it 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 gives a new sense of the way your brain needs to rework itself, and I think that's mm. really great. And what Layers of Fear did um, was very fascinating to me, to where you had this person who was kind of who was initially losing their mind, but on top of that, you also had them pre injured, so like you're limping the whole time, and you know, and yeah. and like you you feel one hundred percent vulnerable. You just feel vulnerable in this world. And that's exciting to me. And the fact that Layers of Fear is just one big puzzle game and it doesn't really focus um, too heavily on monsters or creatures or anything quite like that. I thought that was also a really great way to um, justify omitting combat because you didn't have to fight anything. There was nothing that was uh, the pretty much the only thing that you were fighting was yourself. And (laughs) that was, to me, that is a really magical experience for the way that they did in this game. And it's, it's interesting because you, one of my favorite puzzles in that game that I have yet to have something just go that step up for me was the room where you're stuck and you have to walk around it. And the only way that you can go is when you go the opposite direction I thought that was so cool. Like it's so simple, but it was so effective to me. And I think when you take aspects of reworking the the player's brain every single time you're playing, it's kind of like you're reading the book House of Leaves when you're playing Layers of Fear. And it's it's a it's a fantastic method for them to incorporate this of us on this journey of this person going insane. Um, I didn't care for the DLC as much inheritance, but um, I and same thing with two, like two just was a huge disappointment to me because I wanted to go back in that house. I wanted to go back in that world and um, re- just revisit that. So I'm, I'm interested to see what layer layers of fears is going to bring to the table to uh, reinstate that. Um I didn't think Blair Witch was as bad as a lot of people um, said it was as well. I thought Blair Witch was okay. Uh, I, I didn't think it was amazing. I'm just, I'm just very precious about Blair Witch. I That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. That's super understandable. Uh, but I, I didn't think it was as bad. Uh, I didn't play the medium, but I heard that one was also kind of just so-so. But still, I'm excited to see what the blooper team is going to bring to the table for Silent Hill 2. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I, you know, I love when you know teams have a property and and a property that we know and love i mean they either have two choices one they can just make a very polished remake and do exactly the same thing silent hill 2 does or they can kind of go their own direction and and add little things here and there that uh puts the blooper stamp on it um so yeah i'm curious to see what they're going to do with it but uh, uh following pt and going around the, the the aspects of PT, PT was another genius idea and concept to omit uh, any combat. 
And yeah. that omission of combat in horror games, not one, it, it already makes it a lot scarier. <laughs> like you're just yeah. like, I have no way to defend <laughs> myself. Um, but I also like when um, they take that a step further where uh, they incorporate it in the pause menu. Like PT, again, for example, yeah. like when you pause the game for uh, a too long of a time frame uh, that the game feels, it starts it up for you and it hits you with a jump scare and it restarts you. That's <laughs> genius to me. I think that is so yeah. genius because there's so yeah, many that, players that, that hide in that pause menu for so long. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> you regain that courage somehow. Exactly. So I love that. I love that when, when games take an, another step forward um, and, you know, I, I would love for Kojima to, to make a horror game again, which it, it sounds like Sounds like we might we might get it again. I know we're doing a Death Stranding too, but it sounds like we might get something more and more horror um, very very yeah. soon from Kojima, uh, especially with them meeting with uh, Jordan Peele and Mike Flanagan and things like that. So like, what are they cooking up over there? That's what I want to know. Yeah, a, <laughs> that was such a, a weird podcast to listen to as well on uh, Kojima's Brain Structure podcast. Just when he was talking to Jordan Peele, it was just to hear Jordan Peele fawning over Kojima was just like mad yeah it's like right? it's like because you know <laughs> it was like wow yeah it's like and you, you just think it, it really sort of puts the impact that you guys had on you know people's growing up with video games you know in general right. that you have so many of these esteemed people just going this guy's the shit We're like that when you know, many in the gaming sphere are like he's a fucking madman it's like it's right it's like, yeah it's like, <laughs> truly truly madmen yeah. in their own separate mediums coming together you know that is such a fantastic thing because sometimes and I think it's probably a testament to how far games have come, right? And storytelling in games primarily mm, is that right. back in the day, not even, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and it's generalizing, um, you know, think about storytelling in the medium of games and how far it's come since that. And, you know, there used to be these couple titles every year that would be these big milestones and this new achievement, this new level of storytelling, how stories are getting more complex, you know, with the medium growing of games, you know, people are looking for more mature stories. And now, you know, I feel like every other month we're getting a game where it's like, this is the types of stories that we want and we want to continue. And it doesn't have the same sort of bumps in the road in terms of like, oh, this is a good story, but it would have been better as a movie, right? I think that right. sort of interactivity piece feels a lot mm. more seamless now, um, which is why, yeah, if you start throwing out the, some of the biggest names in horror games and they start coming together, you know, it doesn't matter if there's a language barrier because they have a love for the mediums that they're a part of and also, you know, the respect and admiration of uh, one another's. But, you know, I think to your point in talking about um, Layers of Fear 2 and it, you know, changing a lot that really did make the original great, in my opinion, and we chatted about it on the show, like I said, um, they added new gameplay mechanics or avenues right. that and, you know, I'm thinking about like those chase sequences, which they kept coming back to, which it's like you guys had the formula with layers of fear. And even if, you know, inheritance didn't necessarily work for uh, some people, it's the type of thing that it's like, well, at the core of the experience, though, you know, they stayed true to that formula. Yep, right. Exactly. Of you're exploring. You're not really concerned with like getting grabbed by the boogeyman. It's more about making the boogeyman scary throughout this three hour experience which is, you know, not terribly longer than an average movie, um, which is, again, like it, that is a skill in of itself of crafting Truly. a horror game, right? Um, and I think that that is an opportunity where, and we don't know because they haven't really detailed the changes all that much, but with the Layers of Fear remake, who's to say they won't omit those sections completely and make it something that feels more in line with the original, but 
at the same time, incorporating that setting in a way that brings you back to the mansion. Like that was a big thing for me was that, you know, okay, now we're in this boat setting right? and you spend the first hour of the game being like, is this connected? Is this not? Why is this not just like a setting that was introduced through a door in that mansion? Exactly. Could could very well be the case with the remake. Well, yeah, uh, they are basically yeah. connecting those stories together yeah. to right. be part of a, a larger story. So it will be there. Unfortunately, that does seem to mean that they'll be chasing stuff throughout rather than just <laughs> in Layers of Fear 2, but yeah. handled differently by the sound of it. So there's going to be some changes. Right. Um it looks a bit more amnesia esque in terms of how they're going to handle that. So that's that's what I was thinking we'll too. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I feel like it is going to be they're going because it sounds like to me because uh, when I think of like horror games and and whatnot in general, like yeah. a lot of people think of survival horror. Like I got to survive yes. this experience, and that's what Layers of Fear wasn't. And that's, exactly. that's great. Like that, that's you, you, you're just in this journey with this person who's losing their mind, who, whose family is gone. And, 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 and unfortunately his son got it. Like, you know, so like you're in, you're in that moment with that. And, and layers of fear too took that away entirely to where they turn it into a survival horror game. And that's fine, but make it change the name, you know, like make, yeah. make it to where they're not, they're not a part of the same world. Um, yeah. But it does sound like they are going to go more amnesia esque with this. Um, but it also sounds like they're, they're going to have kind of these elements of like Bioshock infinite as well. Right. Like where you, you, you have all of these different universes that are just attached into one. Um, and I know with Bioshock, they use like one of the lighthouses or something like that. Right. And then, so, uh, you know, they're, they're, I am curious to see how this is going to work. Um, because they could have simply done something where he opens a door in Layers of Fear 2, he opens a door in the house, and he falls into a ship. And now he has to work on trying to get away and back to his house instead of us like in this completely new environment without us knowing why. So, yes, sure. that's it. Yeah, I mean, they, they are definitely going multi-character. So right. We know that at least. So yeah. That'd be interesting to see what they do with that and why they're connected. Right. Um, I mean, the lighthouse section that they've shown and being another character brand new to the story as well is going to be very intriguing to see how that goes. That, that does sort of bring up your point there where you say it's a bit annoying that they went different with the sequel in terms of like tone, because then you'd understand it if they were going anthology style and going, okay, Layers sure. of Fear is the name. We go like that. But now they've sort of come back to it and said, no, we're going to try and do it as a whole thing. And right. yeah, that kind of, puts a bit more of a downer on that one. But yeah, I think Layers of Fear 2's greatest strength was when it sort of evoked the medium of movies, you know, and like the homages it I has agree. in there, uh, they're brilliant, you know, like that. It's just a shame that they did go and do the, the very basic sort of chase stuff that at, at that right. point, you know, had already been done to death and was already yeah. getting a bit tiresome, you know, and I think more... This, you know, with Layers of Fear and Layers of Fear 2, something that has kind of detracted from both of them for me since then is Amnesia Rebirth, which came and, you know, the originator of this whole formula, if you will, right. uh, was Amnesia. And they came and took both of those things and sort of melded them together in a way that was really successful. Like, you know, you were chased but it wasn't game ending. It wasn't about survival. Right. You could fail. It would have consequences that weren't very apparent. 
you know, like that. Mm-hmm. It would help you. The game would help you out. It would get you out of those difficult situations, mm-hmm. but there would be a story-led consequence. And it was so well done. And I'm to this day just will not shut Amazing. up about that game when it comes to it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, <laughs> I haven't played that one yet. I, I, I should go, I should go uh, back and add that one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Because I, I think you would like that combination of what it does, where it, it, yeah. it has the chase stuff. It has very you know, narrative heavy stuff the stuff that frictional games do well with stuff like soma right. and you know amnesia but it is yeah. like the Huge new amnesia of, fan yeah. so that that sounds yeah. awesome yeah so that, that is like the new you know benchmark i think for that kind of game you know where you are yeah. combatless you know right. which is nuts that you know, am, no, frictional are now going to go and make an amnesia game with combat so it's <laughs> it's gonna with the new one so <laughs> it intrigues me because you know it's very limited by the sound of it but could change a lot in, in what it does yeah absolutely anyway, there we are talking about another game again instead of the game <laughs> <we're supposed> to... <laughs> in terms of like layers of fear and its approach to like we said this kind of trope of the tortured artist i don't think we would have been talking about this game and you know the aspects of storytelling if it was not done exceptionally well so prince for you i'm curious you know what about their approach to telling this very tried and true sort of horror trope um, really stands out for you amongst whether it's i would even say you know films that have tackled it but even other games that have tried to tackle this yeah, absolutely. Well, um, for me, like I, I definitely am, am a film buff first. So that was the first attraction for me was mm-hmm. that it, it felt like I was watching. Honestly, it felt like I was watching a Vincent Price movie that was just mm-hmm. done in a modern way for me to have sticks in my hand so I could play. <laughs> um, and, you know, I for me, that was the main attraction to this game. And the fact that like, it, it it had certain aspects that were unfamiliar to me in uh in a in a game such as this because when I first played it I thought it was a survival horror game and I think that that that's what made the character itself feel so much more lively to me um, and it was also fun to kind of drift down the insane safely right like you know so (laughs) it was it was nice to 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 safely do that to where i'm playing the villain in in a way i'm uncovering what this person did and what this person's also trying to do where they're trying to also make their masterpiece while uncovering their uh sense and trying to remember all of that and and you know it's 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 fascinating to me and i will admit that it did sort of hit home for me uh my unfortunately my brother suffers from schizophrenia and uh my mom passed away recently but she also had uh, schizophrenia as well so uh for me it, it it hit a little close to home um and you know a perfect pairing for me uh for these initially these the story layers of fear uh, is uh, Paul Trimbley's uh, A Head Full of Ghosts. And oh, I'm not, yeah. not sure if y'all read that, but, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that for me, like <laughs> those two meshings of telling these inner um, psyches of these two individuals and how they're dealing with it is just astronomical for me. And for Layers of Fear to take this... Uh, trope that we are, are are very used to i will admit that we are we are very used to this trope however they just did something that felt like you were in it like you 
we're also delving into this person's mind to where this is now your mind. And to me, that was so, 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 so well done to a point where, like I said, you safely are going on this journey to just be able to turn it off for a moment and return back to your own, but you're still thinking about it. You're still having dreams about it. You're you're still maybe even seeing your hallways shift. Um, I know some <laughs> people who took pictures down off their walls after playing Layers of Fear. So it's just, you know, it, it, it's all these things um, that have been so exciting. And even my wife, she, 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 she's a gamer, but like not, not in the sense of, of how I am and how probably we are, but um it was her idea to play Layers of Fear. She wanted she wanted us to get the game. So for me, I didn't hear about it until she got it. And um, she, when we had it, she was like, all right, um, we're going to play this game tonight. We just got our puppy. And, uh, and this is uh, 2016. You know, we're, we're in it. We're like, we're going to play this game tonight. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's play this game. Um, my My puppy was on high alert. And like you know, we at the time like at the time we we lived with my with uh, with my uh well I call her my mom but it was my aunt she's the one who actually raised me but we live with my aunt at the time and uh when we lived with her uh you know it, it was it was a definitely a different sense because it, when we're in a house with someone else we're feeling like we have to walk on eggshells sometimes and so. In ways like that still matched our experience of trying to leave the house to go somewhere and things like that. And we would always like think about it when we would walk up the stairs and be like, God, you know that scene in Layers of Fear? Like, you know, so, <laughs> you know it, it's, it's fascinating. And it's really revolutionary when a game has a hold on you to where it, um, it has a style. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's it's fascinating when a game has its own style to where, sure, you can have video game posters in, in your room or you can have um, paraphernalia from the game in your room or whatever. And that's just kind of seeing like you're a fan of that game. But however, if you take aspects of layers of fear and then you you um, bring that those elements into your real life, you just seem like you're a fan of gothic architecture and 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 portraits and things like that. And my wife, because of layers of fear, all these years later, um, now that we have our own house and, and family and things like that, our house looks very much like layers of fear now. <laughs> Even though <laughs> we live in a condo, our house very much looks looks like layers of fear. Our walls are dark green, and we have very gothic paintings that we have no idea who they're painted by. We just thought they were cool, and you know, so it's it's really fa- fascinating um, to have those aspects of that game be brought into our real life experience and because of that game we've never would have probably have wanted to delve into that art form so you know uh, as as weird as it says like that artist is one of my favorite video game characters of all time (laughs) because (laughs) he's had this grasp on me that has transcended from years and years to come so yeah i mean bloober team they nailed it when they made that character, they nailed it. Like they, the, that was to me the perfect character. I don't care what his name is. I don't care, you know, a, about aspects of what he looks like or whatever. Um, even though I was curious, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I, but I never cared enough for me to 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 take that away. You know, like I I find this character just just have so many lack of a better word layers to them um, that I've wanted to constantly explore. 
And I just, God, I just found that to be fascinating. Weird you were saying about that, about you and your wife you know, yeah. getting into it like that. It's like, because, you know, my wife isn't like a massive gamer at all. And that's one of the first games she ever really watched me play and wanted to watch me play and really sort of wow. get into it. Yeah. Uh, which really helped the experience, you know, having someone come outside that and, because she doesn't like you know other kinds of horror like that course, psychological yeah. horror like this perfectly it works and you know and the mind fucking nature of this game really worked as a visual medium Absolutely. so I, I was saying to jay before um we started it's like 2016 was like the year i kind of really had my love of horror reinvigorated because i you know having kids of a certain age you kind of kind of stopped watching movies as much you know, beyond what they yeah. want and stuff like that. And the two things that really sort of kickstarted it for me in both mediums were, you know, It Follows. I watched that a couple of years late, you know, but in that year. And this game, you know, I reviewed this and I was like, it was refreshing to see a horror game do this in a different way. And then to share it with my wife like that, you know, in the a medium that I love, in a, in a genre I love, it was amazing. And then like this week, it's kind of been like you know, to revisit both of those things again uh, uh, with my son, with It Follows, and you know, with both of my kids with uh, Layers of Fear. So you cool. know, and because they, they walked in on me playing it. Sure. Like, they, were, they, they, they were like, they walked, they were like interested in what was going on. And then yeah. they liked all, the, again, they liked all the head fucking stuff and the weird stuff about it. Ooh. And yeah, it's just amazing how the game has just had that effect where it's, you know, everyone's been into it to see it. You know, they, I mean, they're really going to see the sequel and say, well, it's not really the same thing, but it's, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's like, but, you know, the remakes come in. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, that's, that is amazing to think that you, you had a, an experience like that as well, where, you know, it was beyond your own sort of personal envelope thing. You know, um, yeah. Absolutely. And it is amazing. Yeah. Because as simple as everything about layers of fear is, and you, know, and you can accuse it of maybe like nabbing a few ideas off a few genre mates at the time. Sure. It still did it. Yeah. And the thing that's most remarkable for me about that with Bloober Team is before this game, they'd had a really tough time with a game called Basement Crawl, which got yes. shit canned. Like it got it, kicked yeah. to shit. <laughs> and they <laughs> saw that and they went and said, well, you know what? We'll make this wrong or right. And they remade it as a different game called Brawl. And that, you know, garnered them some sympathy. And then they went and just made this, which was like leaps and bounds compared to the stuff they were making. They were making like army men games and stuff before this, you know? Right, right, right. And this kickstarted everything. You know, after this, they were working with Ruka Hauer, you know? So it's (laughs) amazing how big of a, and now they're, you know, doing Silent Hill 2. It's, it's considering where they were, you know, you know, 2016, considering where they were then to now, is remarkable. So I always have a soft spot. You know, I'm very ready to sort of criticize them when they did wrong. We've had that discussion with stuff like the medium. Right. But, you know, it, it's a studio I'm always kind of rooting for because of having this sort of personal connection and just what they mean to me in terms of yeah. like reinvigorating a love of horror. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have Absolutely. worked for Bloody Disgusting and done all that, you know, if it hadn't been for games like that. You know, so it True. is yeah. amazing to think that that helped so much. Absolutely. Saddened to say we got to take a quick brief break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, when we come back, I want to, you know, unpack more about, you know, that Bloober team style and how they really did get, 
you know, as much fanfare and sort of goodwill, even for some of their blunders later down in their catalog, because of how strong they came out of the gate with Layers of Fear. But more on that in a moment. And we are back from our break. And Prince, I've been thinking about something that you said about, you know, their very unique sense of style that is in Layers of Fear, right? And to the degree that you don't even know the protagonist's name, and yet it's a character that is really a reflection of not only just, you know, the Layers of Fear setting, but more importantly, you know, the stylistic elements of their approach to horror, right? The fact that they've removed that survival aspect and, you know, how that sounds like this very sort of simple thing. Oh, you're going to strip combat from it. But the ways in which that they continually make this house and this environment engaging and terrifying, but also, you know, something that you want to explore more of. If anything, you know, on this last replay, there were a couple of times where, you know, you'll find a key, but then you can go basically one of two routes. And every time I would go one route and then the door locks behind me, I'm like, fuck, I want to explore this other route. Now I have to start planning, like either reloading or just planning for the next replay and making sort of a mental note. Right. Um, and, you know, something that we touched upon a little bit was what ails the painter, right? And I think that in terms of the medium, right, which is a game that Neil and I have chatted about previously, when they tried to tell a story that dealt with taboo subject matter, Bloober really, really dropped the ball in a pretty mm. fundamental way to the degree that we probably spent almost like half an hour talking about <laughs> oh, how man. disastrous of a handling <laughs> of it it was. And, you know, I haven't replayed Layers of Fear in a while. So on this replay, revisiting it and thinking about some of the, you know, the taboo, if you will, subject matter of what could be plaguing this artist, you know, is what he is experiencing a result of alcoholism? Is it a result of him being uh, having schizophrenia, right? Having these different sort of uh, ailments, if you will. But something I really appreciate that showed Bloober had this level of restraint, which if anything, you know, it is a, uh, you know, a brush of delicacy, if you will, with that subject matter, is that you don't get definitive answers in this game, right? It's right. very clearly vague for the purpose of allowing the player themselves to craft their own story with like what is being given to them, these breadcrumbs they find. Some of the breadcrumbs are contradictory to one another. And, you know, it's a very simple story. And these puzzle pieces are very simple, right? The tropes and whatnot. But just the way in which they really packaged all of this together it makes layers of fear feel far more complex and I suppose thought out, if you will, uh, for making this final product. Again, something that we've seen previously and we'll continue to see these types of experiences. But in terms of like telling this story that you don't necessarily have these answers for at the end of it, I immediately want to go back and replay it and see what else I missed. What right. other avenues perhaps could you uncover if you go to the left instead of the right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, the game opening with that really great, Oscar Wilde quote of uh, every portrait that's painted with feeling is a portrait of the artist, not of the sitter. Like mm. that is such a fantastic primer for this experience because you start to think about every single thing you encounter. But like you said early on, you have to like retrain your brain with how you take in information as well mm. as how you're going to like explore this environment. Absolutely. Yeah. It, and, and, yeah. Honestly, I couldn't say it better myself. It, it, it is a, it is a very wonderful experience as a gamer and as someone who consumes media in general right like you we're so trained when we watch something or when we experience something um that we're kind of like left to to uh kind of say like to ourselves like if it has this 
this is the greatest game ever. If it has yeah. this, this is going to be the greatest experience of my life. But with Layers of Fear, like it really was a sense of kind of like destabilizing us, right? Where we have to kind of sit in this experience with them. I mean, we didn't have to, but when we sit in this experience with them, we have this opportunity to see what they, their intentions were. See see that main intention and uh, preface that to where you can make something out of it yourself, right? And to me, that's the beauty behind it. And like, I, I want to go back to the taboo subjects where there's a lot of taboo going on inside of Layers mm. of Fear. Like, Layers of More Fear. More than I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a yes. lot of taboo. Like, there, there's domestic violence. There's, like, there, there's so many aspects that, that's happening in this game that you truly are just, like, what am I experiencing here? What, like, what is this, the, the shimmers of shadows that, that is coming out of this game? And what, what, who am I playing? Like, who, who is experience am I playing? If you don't have that vagueness too, you're going to turn off people with, exactly. you know, if, if I'm told out of the gate that I'm this abusive piece of shit. Right. I don't want to play that like, guy. Well, yeah. Maybe I don't <laughs> want to finish this experience. Right. That's horrifying enough in itself rather than, uh, you know, the little dolls that run around the house and whatnot. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think even on this replay, forgetting when this game was released and typically, or at least sometimes in my experience, when you look at media that is dated to a certain degree and they try to dabble in that subject matter, how often do you come away from it with like, oh yeah, they handled that really, really well. That's right. aged very well. Whereas with this, again, it's the approach to the storytelling. And I think also, you know, what this game does so well in conveying its story is that it's, I hesitate to say non-traditional, but you don't have these sweeping cutscenes or these sweeping monologues. And of course, everybody's read plenty of journals and games and letters and notes and these things. But I like that they place different layers <laughs> of significance um, on different things that you interact with, right? Majority of the notes, I feel like, you know, I guess I'm generalizing again, but it's like some of the notes, it's more just like flavor text, right? It's exactly. to support things that you more or less assume. Right. But then mm. you come across those like very specific key items when you have that auditory cue, which is like right. whispering. And when you pick that up, it then triggers voiceover, which is not, you know, overly used throughout the game. Right. But it is smartly used to, you know, place that additional emphasis on, oh, this is something that you cannot ignore that will give you, you know, a, the, the bigger breadcrumb, if you will. Right. Um, and I just love how they go about, you know, the layers of importance, I think. Because if it was just, you know, there's plenty of these types of narrative experiences where you're just wandering through environments, you got to find the one thing. And when yeah. you're only finding one clue per environment, that's very clearly a singular, very linear story. Exactly. And with this, the more you get out of the environment, the more you explore, it becomes that much richer of an experience, which, yeah. you know, pretty simplistic sounding, but it's very <laughs> rare, I find, that you have the level of complexity with which you have this, you know, layers of, uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep making that, yeah. <laughs> uh, layers of complexity to the world and to the uh, the bits and bobs that you find. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You know, the, the, the way that this, this game even utilizes the house, right? Like the, the method, the, the method of the home itself of how vast this place is where you all, you're also secluded. Like you can't leave. Um, and you, you're, you're stuck in this house that is just 
ever going. And for all we know, this dude could be asleep. Like we, you know, like we, like <laughs> we have no idea what we're playing here. And that for me is a really like big focal point for me is, is the environment that is, uh, that everything is set in as well. Um, so it, oh, like it is just a, a fascinating way that they even flowed this character with their environment. And from their environment, they were able to, give us these um th- these tools that we were initially crafting to figure out the story and to me that's cool that's really cool like mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard to spoil this because you are you have to piece the story yourself and is the story yeah. true is the story fake like is the story in this person's head and your your job is to build that is build that story and to me that's really cool which is a great and unique way to take a story that is technically linear to have so many different kind of like outputs um, that you can uh, sort of transition into. Even the different like notes that you find, right? It's the type of thing where if I'm thinking about like classic survival horror, like Resident Evil, right? You're going to be locked to certain areas until you can progress by whatever puzzle piece you find or puzzle you solve, right? And so you're going to come across various notes and whatnot in a order, basically. Right. But with something like this, where, you know, the further you explore, the more you're going to be rewarded with that. There really aren't any outside of the main, you know, voiceover key items that you find. In terms of the notes, though, I feel like you could miss something and it doesn't drastically change your understanding of things. But at the same time, if you find them in any order, like if you start backtracking or something in a section, you know, it doesn't have to abide by the linear ebb and flow of a story, which I think is a testament to it enriching the world of Layers of Fear, perhaps, rather than one specific narrative beat. And I, I just I keep perseverating on just how well each of them is written because right. it does so much to uncover, you know, the character's backstory, their current state of mind in their various degrees of whether it's addiction or whether it's spiraling because of an undiagnosed uh, mental condition, right? Or you even get a sense of their personality, right? Because I think about the one um, note you find early on, which is an indication like, oh, no, this guy is struggling with alcoholism because the grocery list has food and then booze. And then he's scratched out five, 10, and has written in like sloppy handwriting, 30 bottles. And then at the same time, you find a, a receipt for his prosthetic leg, which, you know, it details obviously a prosthetic leg and the cost. But then he's written on the side of it, like, how the hell do they screw up the length? Which is such a morbid, like, little joke, but it is yeah. an insight into this person's mind and how, right. you know, it's an insight into that mind at a varying stage in their story. Right. You don't know what stage it is, but it still fits in a way that I think is probably an overlooked aspect of, like, again, the character development in this game that goes along those very untraditional uh, sort of route. Yeah. So I think that obviously ties both games together and probably will tie the remake together is the personal nature of it as creators, as artists themselves, you know, Bloober. And that's what these stories are about. And the smartest thing you can say about the second game is it's from a wider perspective in the medium of movies. You have many more people involved in what you're doing and that can compromise what you're doing. So that's where you could say, you could almost say there's a meta commentary on like, well, people told us there should be more chase sequences because other horror games <laughs> were doing that and blah, blah, blah. Right. Because, yeah, people, scary is what many 
out casual horror fans that think they're not casual horror fans will say, well, it wasn't scary, so it's not horror, <laughs> uh, will then attack a game like Layers of Fear for that reason. So <laughs> Layers of Fear, with the first one, it's very much from the expressive freedom that art gives you when it's just you, when it's just you making it. And But the other side of it is there, which is your own personal self-doubt, your own niggling doubts of what is going on what are you going to do is this going to be the right way to go about things uh, with this piece something about it is off and it can manifest from what's going on in your life in general like that which is obviously the case with the artist here and yeah so seeing that jump from here to there is amazing for me because i think that's where it feels smartest you know you have this from that you made it. This was the game that made them, you know, when it was just them doing what they wanted to do. The sequel is very much has that sort of meta commentary of like, well, this is more like the game you wanted. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it wasn't really what you wanted. So, yeah. <laughs> so. in hindsight, Layers of Fear 2, I think, seems like it's a reflection of a studio that basically, you know, has not stopped working since Layers of Fear, the original, right? They get, became right. so well-known, so popular, and, you know, it's a byproduct of trying to do a lot in a short period of time, I think, yes. while also having the fear of saying, of having people say about your next product, especially when you slap a two onto anything, like, oh, it's just more of the same. Like, that's the number one thing that I think most devs that have to tackle a sequel probably fear, right? That type of criticism, but it's finding yeah. the balance of what made the original so special and, you know, new features or implementation of gameplay mechanics that is not so drastically foreign to the original product itself. Because, um, yeah, you know, like I said early on, the thing that connects those two is the thematics. And I would say that, you know, the story in Layers of Fear 2, I didn't enjoy, I didn't think it was better, but it, it also was the highlight probably for me in an experience that, Overall, it's kind of like forgettable, but I think again, as we said early on, that's sort of the uh, the beauty of remakes yes. in that they get this second crack at it right. and whatnot. But um, one thing that you said, Prince, that I wanted to unpack a little bit more was in terms of that environmental traversal, right? And yeah. how you know, I think layers of fear main complaint from people that have not been able to get on with the series has probably been they have this limited bag of tricks, if you will, right? I go into a room, I turn around and it's different or something jumps at me or this or that. But, you know, really on this replay, again, I was able to have a greater appreciation, I think, for the fact that, yeah, at times they return to similar kind of scares or just the ways in which they distort the environment or your perception of the environment. But it, again, it always feels like it's in service of what you know about the character at a certain point, right? And the right. environment is often a reflection of that. Exactly. There's that section when you sort of investigate the attic, right? And all of a sudden it changes or something, Clashes, but then you yeah. see like there's a fire underneath <laughs> and you're like, well, that's weird for the sake of being weird maybe. Right. But the more that you're unpacking the story, it's like, oh no, that has a greater significance right. to a, you know, maybe an event that happened, maybe an event that didn't happen, who knows, but right. it's in service of the greater storytelling. And I just find that, um, you know, it's a disservice to say that Layers of Fear has this limited bag of tricks because it always comes back to the strongest aspect of the game itself. You know, I completely agree. Um, have both of you seen uh, Doctor Sleep, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep? 
Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal <laughs> flick, right? Um, oh, yeah. So, so y'all remember that part where uh, we're in the brain of Rose the Hat. And we're yes. in her mind, and her mind is like a like an absolute. It, I'm gonna say a mausoleum because <laughs> because it's it's pretty much just death. <laughs> Accurate, <laughs> yeah. but for that's pretty much what Layers of Fear is. Like you know, like it, it, you you see that scene, you're just like, I want to explore that. I want to see where all of this leads. I want to go in this person's memories, and that's what we're doing. We're exploring this person's memories, right? Um, and that house is just a reflection of their mind and how their mind is perceiving the world. And I find that to be just absolutely encapsulating because of the fact that I do think that's the strongest part. And, and, you know, I, I did have conversations with, with folks who would say things like, um, like, like, well, it's a one trick pony, you know, it, 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 there's not much to it. It, it. it wasn't as many layers as I expected for fear. <laughs> so for, for them to say such things, I can see why they would feel that way. Um, but when we go a bit further and, and, and take, take it to another perspective of us just utilizing this as a place for us to figure out what the hell happened here. I find that to be just a really cool concept to mm. justify everything that they're doing in this game. And it you know to admit things like um taking away the aspects of uh combat which we know the duke of to, could beat something up. I mean domestic violence definitely seems to be in this person's repertoire, but uh for for them to omit um combat for them to um give this character a bit of a uh, an accessibility as well to uh multiple accessibilities, but to also give this person an aspect of their reality to where what is real, what is not real, how can we traverse this? to um get the outcome we're looking for we can't jump we can't run we can't uh climb we can't really do anything we're so used to doing in certain game mechanics that we are literally left with just a couple of interaction pieces for our controller to do i mean we had a zoom we had a slight sprint i wouldn't really call it a sprint i guess it was a a (laughs) faster a faster hobble (laughs) (laughs) um but when we when we have those aspects then we also have interact right like that that was the main thing that we could do in this game but yet we would find ourselves in such odd places for example the addict where the addict was on top of all of these stacks of paintings and you had all these doors that were pushed in other areas like it was nuts absolutely nuts and it would make it seem like we could fly but yet you could just walk (laughs) so yeah well, I think yeah. that that is what is so important when you're tackling this story that, you know, and Neil and I are both fans of uh, surreal imagery in games and also, you know, dreamlike surrealism in film and whatnot. Right. But I think with this game, having the setting be something that is so grounded and limiting the supernatural events to per room, right? It's not that even if the house itself clearly has a supernatural construction, when you're walking through the halls and whatnot, there's nothing all that strange about them. It's just this Gothic Victorian mansion. Exactly. And I like that, you know, also those scares and those bigger moments really does, uh, the pacing is very gradual, which mm-hmm. I think is fantastic because they don't lean too strong into that. As weird and as wild as this game gets, they really don't lean too much into it. They do a good job of building a foundation that is mostly, you know, the 
personal struggles of this character. And you really focused on like, is this somebody that I even want to succeed or make it through this dark and stormy night? Right. Um, And I I just love that the, you know, of course, it's uh, intrinsic to him being an artist, but the fact that his studio is the hub world, basically, for what might as well be like a lighthouse in terms of visiting all these different uh, dimensions or rather events and periods and different times and whatnot, which just makes for something really, uh, really fantastic in terms of like a story that is very supernatural, very spooky, but at the same time, like that human element, which obviously we all know is so integral to really keeping you invested in something more than just this haunted house ride on wheels. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I even have like a theory of what, uh, when we go back to that hub space there, um, where my theory, when, when we're back at the, at the canvas and easel, um, my theory is that the house is actually not that big. The house is is no. actually actually probably quite small, um, no. and which is why we see the same paintings over and over and over again. No sure. matter how far and deep you go inside the house, they're always the same paintings. Like we have the nightmare yeah. painting, we have the painting of fruits, we have so we we have all these gothic um, paintings that are happening uh, or that that we see, but they're always looping. They're always looping wherever yes. we go. I mean, that could be two things, right? That could just be laziness on, on, on <laughs> aspects yeah. of developer, or it could be alongside of of, of theory crafting, right? Where you mm-hmm. you know you you see this um, and you're just like, oh, okay, well how far am i like did i actually yeah. even go anywhere like this might be the same room it just might be my mind has expanded this room to be something else so yes. it's 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 really fun to theory craft this whole like story could be an extrapolation of his mind of thinking of oh this is the level of success i have exactly but in actuality no it's not right <laughs> it's you just, could live in a cabin. your mind is creating <laughs> your ideal yeah and i think that it's interesting telling the story through you know, notes being passed between spouses that if anything makes it even, it just kind of like makes their situation more dire if they live in like a two bedroom cabin or something. Truly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think when you, you know, go for that introduction to the game, it kind of hints at how small the house really is. Right. Yeah. Where it's not, but it feels very humble, even though it's quite extravagant by modern standards. It's, Got enough for a room here, room there, room there. And you see pretty much every room that would be available. And I don't know that you were talking about it sort of being tied to how he sees things and his ego. And, you know, that is very much apparent. I think the repeating paintings are both, you know, like just the only paintings he sees as inspiration, the only ones he sees as being relevant. And the ones that people, you know, talk behind his back about or whisper negatively about are the ones that will manifest at certain times and you know like the, the disturbing paintings that people have like questioned him on because his you know attitude has reflected in his work as he's deteriorated and so you have that with it i think um the house as it is is basically taunting him is his own personal sort of purgatory isn't it at that point where right. he's just just recycling the same thing over and over again. It was like, this is what you could have been. This is what you would aspire to be. And this is what you were like that. And that is the cycle that goes and you know, down to probably the ending that I feel is most apparent and most obvious to what the story is going for. That is there. You know, it, you know, you see it. That's the cycle. He will keep repeating unless he accepts one of the yeah. other two endings, if you will. And um, right. yeah, I, 
which again leans very heavily into that sort of Bioshock Infinite thing of, you know, like uh, keep doing this stuff; it's going to keep happening because yeah, there are there are constants and variables to what you do. Exactly. Yeah, doing the same thing and expecting different results. That's it. No. One thing that I have to bring up that we haven't mentioned thus far is the score for this game. Oh my um, god! <laughs> I I very much apologize to the composer if I screw up your name, but. <laughs> I believe that the composer's name is Arcadius Rakowski, um, and he has done a majority of Bloober's uh, scores. So he did yeah. Observer, The Medium, Layers of Fear, Layers of, Layers of Fear 2. And this is a score that I hadn't played this game probably three or four years, but as soon as I started it and that score kicks in, especially that main score that plays during the, it's like the theme song basically right, for yeah, the, like the, the title screen. Stuff. Yeah. Yep, exactly. That so perfectly sets the stage for what you're about to experience and it avoids the more traditional or what I suppose people would assume of a horror score. It's immediately supposed to instill fear. It's immediately supposed to make you uncomfortable and uneasy. And this is almost like, I suppose, almost like angelic sort of, but there's an air of mystery to it to a degree that I think does a fantastic job of setting the stage for what I still think is sort of an unconventional uh, horror experience for, you know, mainstream horror fans, if you will. No, I completely agree. I mean, it it reminds me very much of like what Capcom does for Devil May Cry, where they have more of these kind of angelic type of like synths and things like that and, and keys and strings. And what this, what this did, it it does instill such a different amount of honestly is instill dread. It doesn't instill fear itself. It instills dread. Like, you know, it's it's such a dreadful score that is also very gothic in, in with the times. Like, I mean, it it, it, it really it, like it makes that that transition for us to go into this world that much more less smooth. Right. <laughs> like, it's it's a really great way to allow them to uh, pull us into this world and feel dread and to yeah. have that sense of uh of like fear build up for us is really really smart and you know it, i was watching recently um one of ty west's earlier films the innkeepers and uh yeah. one thing that i found that was uh, fascinating about it was the score because the score is a very adventurous type of score and then you kind of get whimsical and then you get the fear um and uh, initially that's kind of like what layers of fear does like it, it has this, this scoring that allows you to sense the dread immediately i wouldn't say get whimsical or anything but you sense the dread immediately but at the same time you still feel calm and yeah. you, you still feel like you can be in this environment a little bit longer and i think that was a really smart aspect of approaching the scoring in this uh game to allow us to keep pushing, keep uh, persevering and things like that. Uh, Cause for us, obviously we're going to persevere no matter what, like I, you yeah. know, <laughs> the score right. could be rocks on grounds. Like we don't care. Like we're yeah. going to go, we're going to keep going. <laughs> but um, for someone who sees this and you're just like, Oh, that looks intriguing. I'll maybe give this a shot. It, it's on the PlayStation store for five bucks. Why not give yeah. it a try th- uh, this time yeah. around. And for them to have that, Intris- in like intrinsic moment to allow them to keep going a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more is really really great for what the score does yeah. what the story does and how they are just married together beautifully 
Exactly. And there are moments of melancholy <laughs> in it. Yes. Just, those little piano bits are just beautiful. Like, you know, when you have like two musical sounds from two different things just intertwine, they're unrelated, but yeah. there's something about it that loops in your head over and over again. There's a particular sort of little piano twinkle in this that comes up in L.A. Noir's clue system you know when they do that dun yeah. dun sing like that yeah. i i can never ever get rid of that in my head where it, those Fair. two things are now in my head and it's just so even though even now coming back to it the soundtrack's kind of a surprise again because i experienced it it was so different and then i rarely heard that little twinkle but it was there i think when i played it just it connected in a way that was very weird you know to, where it ended up associating with a game I played like six years before. It was mad. <laughs> yeah, but in both cases, there was something about it that kind of fit, you know, the, the melancholy vibe that each is going for, the, this mournful tone. It was very simple piano, ting, ting, ting thing. It, it, it works so wonderfully. I think you're right. When a, when a soundtrack is so good, it just elevates a game. No matter what, I've long been saying this here that you know, I, I, there are so many games that are flawed fundamentally, but they have such a fucking great soundtrack that I'm like, oh, I, I would die for this game just for the soundtrack, you know, like that. You know, and it, it's wonderful. I like, yeah, a good soundtrack for me is just so important. And it, I've always, I found that since yeah, the days of you know, PS2 games, really sort of really going for it and showing how you could, um, really sort of add to games in in terms of what you added, whether it be like um, licensed songs or whether it be stuff like you were saying, Devil May Cry, you know, the the soundtrack to the original original Devil May Cry is just one of those things just burned into my brain. Yeah, it's it's prolific. (laughs) You know, just like every time I listen to it, I'm just like, wow, just (laughs) banger after banger. So it's great and, and, it's usually going to endear me to your game if your soundtrack is amazing in Super some way fair. or has something memorable. And Layers of Fear definitely has that element. Absolutely. Well, it matches also what we were talking about in terms of like you're piecing together this narrative and it's very vague and there's multiple avenues. And the fact that you don't know for certain whether this is actually happening, whether this is a byproduct of mental illness or alcoholism or these things, and yet the score matches no matter what, you choose to believe to be the current reality of this character and the fact that it never feels out of place. It comes in at the right moments when, you know, you have one of those big scares that you can't miss. But then at the same time, if you're in a puzzle, much like the one Prince described early on, when you're kind of like just walking down this endless hallway and you're like, what the fuck? Like, what is the purpose of this? And then your brain has that moment of rewriting itself and being like, Oh, okay, this is how I need to approach this world. Um, And yet the score is the type of thing that, if it did not match either sort of moment that you're in, whether it's a scare, whether it's you trying to just traverse this environment, whether you believe them to be this ailment or that ailment, if the score at any point really kind of strikes too much of a horror chord or it feels not indicative of the era that the game is set in and whatnot, that can be kind of clumsy in terms of nailing that atmosphere. And that really is the through line, I think, all throughout this game. I'm not going to say that, you know, every single scare works for me or every single story bit works for me, but I think that the atmosphere from start to finish 
is pretty much immaculate, I think, in terms of this game and really conveying the very singular, I think, narrative experience that is this game. And the fact that I think that is a testament probably to why when, you know, certain portions of gamers or fans of games and whatnot, you know, start going on about, um, you know, walking simulator this, walking simulator that – I don't hear that critique as much about layers of fear, I think, because it is so effective in terms of that atmosphere. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it really takes a, a, a walking sim in such a different like perspective and, you know, walking sims, they're fine. Like, I, I think, I think walking sims are okay. Like, uh, uh, I mean, one of my favorite ones is what remains of Edith Finch. Um, but, you know, with walking sims in general, like, for example, Firewatch or Everyone's Gone to the Rapture, um, things like that, like you are trying to just figure out what happened here. That's what most walking sims kind of are, right? Um, And it's fascinating to see that sense for this game to take this perspective of a walking sim in just one environment. And you know, you you can't really leave that environment. You have no idea what outside looks like. You... we can kind of guess what era this is in, but we kind of don't know, right? Like, so, like, you know, it could just be old timey folk in the year 2016. That could be the plot twist. (laughs) Exactly. So (laughs) it's it's, it's interesting to kind of see how we're able to be in this environment and walk through through this environment and try to figure out and piece together what's happening in this place. Um, And I... I think for this in consideration as the way that it is, I think that's why this game was so beloved by by quite a few folks because of the fact that we don't have too many experiences for horror games that are just walking simulators. Um, you know, there, there's always like a purpose or an escape plan or some type of other uh, piece to it where it might be, whether it be combat or whether it be trying to... Uh, uh, piece together something else or whatever Mm. um there always is another objective where this game has no true objective that is like you can understand it from start to finish you're just trying to figure out what happened in this environment and i think that is such a success for this game to be a walking simulated simulation of horror it's smart. It's really smart for them to take that approach rather than go the approach of like, I'm just going to throw a name out there, like fear, for example, F E F dot E dot R. Y'all get the point. Fear. But with them to take something like where that is a very much a combat of game and for you to do something quite like that, isn't going to work for an environment such as this one, right? Um, but for us to take that experience to where we're in our most vulnerable state, to where we we can only walk, we can we can't really go anywhere. We don't have uh, we have no no sense of what's going on, no sense of time, nothing. And we could assume that this is all happening in a night, but this could be happening in a span of a year or whatever, right? But it's a really cool experience overall to just see how flushed they made this game to match so many different type of personalities. It's just, it's so, so cool. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also the level of interactivity in this 
compared to a lot of other walking simulators. Because right. I think something along the lines of like um, everybody's gone to the rapture. I like the story at the end of the day of what that is and uncovering the bits and bobs. Cool. There's just not enough of it for me at the end of that experience exactly. to justify why I wandered around that much to find one thing. Um, and I think that in terms of this game, right, there's never not five or six things to interact with in a given environment that is expanding my understanding or a one avenue of understanding of what has happened previously, what has potentially occurred in the house and whatnot prior to my arrival. Right. And I think that that is what really does allow layers of fear to largely, I'm not going to say that there haven't been people that have uh, complained about its sort of walking simulator nature. Um, but I think that f largely what has allowed it to skirt some of that criticism is the fact that you're constantly being given things to interact with. And there's just enough puzzles and just enough item hunting that, People can't say really that, oh, you just walk from one room to the next. There's just right. enough of that at the most opportune moments, or at least at moments where you might start to wane the player's interest, perhaps, instead of like, also, it's a very claustrophobic environment, right? There are too many, yeah. too many different places to go, unlike something like <laughs> Firewatch, where it's right. like, there's 19 different places to go at any given time. Truly. But um, I think also just, again, you know, the narrative is so strong and the mystery is so strong of Layers of Fear, whereas a majority of those types of experiences that we've kind of mentioned, they are linear one note very much. Even something like Firewatch, you have some decision making. How much does it really change the end story? It has a story to tell. And everybody, if you play it from start to finish, is going to have the same understanding. Have the same result. <laughs> uh, to, I was going to say, one of the things that really dis defines the greats in that sort of, you know, combatless narratives like this is that you are taking away agency whilst you are forcing someone to sit in, some, in someone else's shoes and experience their personal story and how you take, take away from it. I always liken them to virtual museums of a life, mm. you know, and mm -hmm. you are, you have some impact, but you don't have all the impact. I think mm. of, um, a game that before this that really came to mind was the vanishing of Ethan Carter, which oh, you know, yeah. had a bit of everything. Yeah. You know, it had a bit of yeah. the horror element. It had a lot of the exploration, the mystery to un to sort of solve. And, you know, obviously even gone home and they all, take you on a journey in a narrative sense. They are taking the storybook approach and making it more physical for you and more tactile without being as tactile as video games are supposed to be. And I think there was a lot of you know, a real abrasive feeling for people who are very much traditional gamers who, would, who wanted to be able to control a lot about what they were doing and you know, don't feel comfortable without a weapon in their hand like that. And these sort of games made them uncomfortable and made them feel like they weren't a game because they couldn't do combat, they couldn't do, do this, that, and the other. And that you know, still exists to some degree today, to the point where you do get studios sort of revert to type because of it. Um, but yeah, this sort of golden era we had from pretty, pretty much from when Frictional did the Amnesia series, I think, really where it really blew up. Where you'd have this, you'd have Outlast, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, What Remains of Edith Finch, uh, and this. And you'd have all these wonderful ways of telling similar stories, similar ideas, and then just taking them in different directions. I mean, I found personal impact through stuff like 
um, what remains of Edith Finch in ways I would never have imagined. Yeah, there are sections of that game that haunt me in ways that many horror games could never do. Yeah. You know, like that, because, and it is because you are a passenger to that story. Yeah. Who happens to be there. And I love that. It's the next step of what movies do really well, you know, Mm -hmm. for me. And it combines the best of books and movies, you know, that you can combine the two and have some sort of imagination to it, but also being involved in it in a way that you just couldn't be with just a book and in a way you couldn't be with a movie. Absolutely. And it's what makes the medium special. And I think, I know why there was such, you know, back chat about this sort of mini subgenre we got at the time, but I think it was really important in helping video games move to where they are now when you really do get strong narratives and, you know, more subtle character studies, uh, you know, in all sorts of games. Because without this period of time where, you know, studio bigger studios were sort of hedging their bets on what to do next and trying to catch, you know, the next gravy train, you had this underbelly of indie studios really going for it and really just trying it. You know, doesn't mean they have to be like, you know, Shakespearean legends or anything like that. They, they could make a strong story with familiar beats, but because you are being told it in this way, it makes it different. It makes it feel important and effective. And if you're willing to embrace that, if you're willing to take that on board, I think it opened up the world of video games in a whole new way, you know, for, for new audience and old audience alike. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very well said, man. Yeah, but, truly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speechless. Neil, was that 10 minutes again? Neil, Neil very much uh, has a tendency to leave me speechless on this show, something we talk about quite frequently. It was a good time this time. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess, you know, if we're going to kind of uh, wrap up our chat a little bit, um, in terms of Layers of Fear and, you know, really memorable, mo- profoundly memorable moments, whether that be scares, whether it be, you know, a stylistic element that we didn't really touch upon for you, Prince, uh, what kind of stands out? Oh, man. Um, I would say the main thing that kind of stands out for me, um, besides all the things that I've listed, um, was just this is this is gonna bear with me on this one. Um, was just to see what this team is going to do next. Like yeah. I am going yeah. to forever just because of this one game forever be interested in what they do next, even if I don't like it. I'm still yeah. going to be interested in what they do next because of Layers of Fear, and that's the thing that yeah. caught me by most surprise is that you know we we have our our big names, um, Capcom and um. You know, Infinity War. Well, I guess Infinity War is not anything. Well, Sledgehammer, I'll say Raven, um, so on and so forth. Like we we have these names that that are in some ways household names, and we know what's to expect from them. But with Bloober, them getting all these licensings and different projects, and um, and even making their own IPs and things like that. Like we have to admit that they're still pumping out like. Like new IPs, regardless of yeah. what we could say. Like we have uh, Observer, the Medium, Layers of Fear, and and uh, Blair Witch, and, and you know, like these these are IPs that we wouldn't have seen because of this team. And even though we probably aren't the biggest fan of all of them, um, because of Layers of Fear, I am forever going to be interested in what this team does. And to mm-hmm. me, that is the most shockingly surprising thing for me. Because I typically don't care 
<laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, I was just like, if they make something cool, like for example, us getting the new Bioshock, right? Like that, that get us getting the news of that. I was like, okay, cool. Ken Levine's not attached. I was like, all right, you know, like I, I'm interested because I'm a Bioshock fan, but at the same time. I want to see what Ken Levine is going to do. Um, so like that's, you know, for me, that's like, I'm sure people felt the same way when Cliffy B left Gears of War, you know? So like uh, same thing probably goes for uh, whenever Neil Druckmann is just like, I'm over the last of us. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything with the last of us, yeah. but yet Naughty Dog still does, you know? Mm. So same thing for God of War, right? Like we, we you know, yeah, we, we, yeah, that's, that's something in itself, isn't it? You know, David right. Jaff, is is a very different person to where that series has gone now. Exactly, but, but it's it's strange, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this with you know Bloober Team and the reception it got about doing Silent Hill two, and you know, how there was so much negativity in it. It's like despite the fact they were saying no, no, no Ito's involved. You know, the guy who gets tired of answering idiots online about, <laughs> science, about about does does pyramid head, head fuck and stuff like this and if he's involved and wants to get the vision back on track for that series that's more positive than when you look at many of the remakes now sure they had some help here and there from previous devs but not to this level not where the, one of them is still involved on a high level where the composer and the creative force behind it is there and i think that will be the great thing for silent hill too i think also you know kind of champion what prince has said about them you know not every project of theirs has worked for me but i have seen promise or something interesting or unique in every single thing that i've played of theirs thus far Mm. and i think that if anything i'm excited to see them tackle the silent hill 2 remake because they have certain restrictions or limitations, I think, on how much they can change, right? Nobody is going to allow you to touch Silent Hill with a 10-foot pole if you're going to, you know, oh, I'm going to rewrite this major fundamental either design, <laughs> narrative. It's That's just not going to happen. There's no, no situation that's going to be allowed. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see Bloober come to a project where they're able to use their creativity and ingenuity and tweaking something while not being allowed to fundamentally rewrite it and to see yes. what comes about with that. You know, something like the medium, which the further we get from that conversation, the less I like that game. I still <laughs> think that that game displayed a really, really fascinating look at utilizing technology and how that comes across with yeah. the gameplay, but also narratively speaking. You know, there's aspects of that. Again, we don't need to keep harping on it, but I think that. <laughs> You know, overall, even with a product like that, which I'm not overly fond of, I still see greater promise in playing something or experiencing something like that, being indicative of a studio of people that are thinking outside the box, at least. And, you know, with how often we're inundated with games now on like a daily basis, with new games being released or announced, that seems to be more of a rarity, I think. I think there's too much thinking inside of pre-existing parameters and being like, well, you know, we'll just make something that was successful over here and we'll put our name on it over there, um, which we know how that usually ends up. Right. (laughs) So I was going to say, you know, it's like they've said themselves, you know, as a studio, they would like to be known as like the bloom house of horror games. It's like, and I think they're kind of there in a way because I agree. They will make stuff that is divisive. You know, they'll, they'll churn out stuff at a good rate. You're not going to like all of it. Not all of it is going to be the same production value or the same quality in general. But there's going to be stuff that is going to make people take notice. And mm-hmm. I think like, showing that in between the things, you, for every, you know, 
the medium or layers of fear 2 or blair witch you have games like layers of fear you have observer you know and even in the games that don't do everything right there are things that work right yeah i mean the medium and it's sort of dual reality thing where they were showing you know two versions of the same world in one screen i thought it was really smart you know yeah. it was done for, done for the tech great idea <laughs> they had a soundtrack by yamayoka you know who did silent hill 2 soundtrack right. which is obviously like the great way to sort of bridge the gap there and i think everything they've done has just sort of been building to getting to get this gig now you know, where they are going to be making that and i think even remaking layers of fear is them saying well we're going to show that we can remake by seeing how we can reevaluate what we've done so far in a new way. Now that that will be the test because that will obviously come before right. Silent Hill Two. Absolutely, and we will see, you know, how they sort of scrub that up, you know, to make it a whole cohesive story and really make the finer points of it work. And I hope really that they learn one thing from everything they've done, which is you were a low ebb, things weren't going right. And you worked hard to turn everything around and you did that by reveling in simplicity and working around that to create something that had ambiguity, had an intelligence that maybe isn't appreciated by all, but still has something that was meaningful and obviously had a deeper legacy and connection than they ever anticipated, you know, which mm-hmm. is all great, great works do you know, in their own way that they will have a lasting legacy. People will still talk about games, films, TV, book stuff because yeah, you know, it, it did something for people that kept them going on about it. Yeah. And this it's game has that. Yeah, wh- whatever your feelings on the game, it has that. Yeah. And I think there is a very prominent um, guy out there in YouTube land and that um, really, really fucking hates blue between for some I'm, reason um, i'm sure there is <laughs> yes yeah right, uh, I, know, I know there is um, any corner of youtube there's somebody with an opinion on something oh for yeah sure. and you know the, the guy i'm thinking of in particular doesn't like um certain other youtube channels that um rip into movies and stuff and he has a real hate boner for for blue between um and brings up the, the original game for that a lot and the medium was like the zenith of him criticizing them as a company and it just feels like silly to me personally it's like sticking your stick to your lane mate right. games ain't your thing if, if you don't understand that, that games don't have to be perfect at what they're doing you know just like films don't you know it's like there are ways that you can appreciate and understand and criticize these things that don't just have to be slagging it off because you didn't yeah. like they did it. Not every game is going to be The Last of Us. Not every game is going to be no. Uncharted. Not every game is going to be Bioshock. Like, not, you know, taking taking those aspects um, out of it to where people hold up certain games as pinnacles. Like, if, they, if it yeah. doesn't match this experience I had with The Last of Us, if it doesn't match this experience I've had with God of War, then this game is not not good. You know, and, and yeah. you know, so like <laughs> right. that that's such a silly way of thinking about it, um, where we we see games be compared to games where just like that those two are comp- like two different things. Yeah. Like yeah. that's like adding rice into cereal. Like, what are you doing? Like I mean right. they've already yeah, like, 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 rice crispy, you can be yeah. <laughs> you can come from a place of sincerity without being serious. Exactly. Yeah, you, you can you can be clever and inventive without really like thinking outside the box you can just do stuff that people know and like and this is where the blumhouse thing works because I that's agree. 
familiar stuff. And Bluebird didn't know that. They, they absolutely, as a company, understand that. They know what they like about horror and that's what they do. And you see that through line through everything they do, whether you like it or not. And as we said here, there are going to be ones like that. And that's why I admire them for what they do. It's like, and I really hope they continue to keep doing that as long as they take on, you know, when they really do get it properly wrong and, you know, universally people are like, nah, you did that wrong, guys. Exactly. It's, it's, Largely speaks to, again, just sort of the immaturity, perhaps, of the medium, or rather the medium is still growing, right? Video games mm. are still, compared to something like film, or God forbid, something like literature, right? Thinking in terms of how long these things have been around and developing, and, you know, people are being cognizant of, like, what is a classic, and being receptive, receptive of multiple types of experiences, not just genre, but, like, going into certain projects with certain mindsets and whatnot. Um, I think that's a big thing in terms of games, right? You still see it with games like when people talk about something like Layers of Fear, it's like that game's how much and it's how long. You still see people have those types of experiences, but it's more about finding value in the experience in terms of what did this do? It might be three hours, but how much is this stuck with you compared to something where I don't know. You were, you know, uh, knocking over compounds for thirty hours or whatever in Far Cry. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like, it, again, that might be an apples and orange comparison, but in terms of not applying that sort of like monetary value to gameplay length, right? When you still have those types of conversations, it's like there's still growth to be had in terms of the medium. But I think overall, we're hopefully, and I think in terms of where the discourse around games is at the moment. Granted, that could change at any moment. Uh, <laughs> it's the type of thing where I think that we at least see these strides being made in terms of expectations for games and the types of conversations where hopefully it's less about like, well, this game wasn't as good as The Last of Us and it was a horror game, so this game is garbage. Like, I think we're moving out of that state of conversation, hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, granted, yeah. I haven't been on Reddit in a long while, so things might be a miss over there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we've discussed it so many times on the show when we do stuff like horror bites. You know, like I, one of my favorite games of last year was 15 minutes long, like that. And because, and it told a great story, had a great look, everything. And it's that, that to me is what keeps me invested is just knowing that you can do great things in this medium in the shortest form and the longest form. Yeah, you know, there mm-hmm. are games I play for hundreds of hours that aren't necessarily great. They just have the great loop, right? Like that. Yeah. And there are things I will just play once for 15 minutes ago. That was great. I loved that. And yeah. I will remember that forever. You know, I think the tipping point for me was always like, um, was journey mm. yeah, in 2012 when that yeah, came out. Wow. And it was like under, under two hours long, which is unusual for like a game from like a console maker, you know, and blew me away. Just yeah. it genuinely changed how I felt about video games you know, in terms of like what, what is. What is substantially cool? Yeah, what what is supposed to be good and great about a video game? Is it Absolutely. length? Is it graphical power? Whatever. And we, it's the first time I think we really got past that era in video games on consoles, especially where you could look at things going. You know what? No, it doesn't have to just be about what's the next big blockbuster, great as they can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that reminds me of like Yearwalk. Um, in yeah. how Yearwalk was a mobile experience that was insane like i still listen to the uh the score from that as well where yeah. you know and their puzzles and 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 how you interact with that game as well it's just like absolutely incredible from the sound design and and um the experience and it was just a, a very simple side scroller with really yeah. cool art and like it, it just 
and it was a, it was a very like focused scary story like you know so it, it really had every every aspect to it but i definitely agree that you know games don't need to be these huge blockbusters all the time you know these a lot of people i know some people who refuse to play indie games just because they feel like they're mm. not getting their money's worth and i'm just like you are silly <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you are very silly to, to even think of the think of it that way um to where if you take an indie experience in this individual experience to where you um are spending a couple of hours with it one i that's perfect for me and i'm sure that's perfect for you mm. too neil because we, we, oh, you know, yeah. we got kids <laughs> so like you know so like every one of those is a gem <laughs> during nap time and finish a game from start to finish insane like you know as a yeah. parent that is great that is fantastic <laughs> and uh you know like it took me three months to beat god of war ragnarok because of my there daughter you so, like yeah. you know so like for for me it's not it, it it, I look for those shorter experiences now. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm yeah. thankfully I'm not a completionist. So like, I, I don't care for platinum trophies and such, but um, as you can hear, I'm a, I'm very much a PlayStation fan, but, <laughs> uh, but so for me, I, I do make it to, to a point to actually, uh, you know, take certain times and moments um, because I am insanely busy with my life. So, yeah. you know, but for, for me, I'm very thankful of indie games to just be a very hop in, hop out experience um, to where I can actually complete it, though. Like, I want yeah. to complete what I'm playing. I want to see the end result. And if I could do that in one sitting, oh, dude, bravo. You fucking nailed yeah. it. Like, <laughs> like yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, the more that we see the genre as a whole just mature, right? Because it's like, you know, I can relate to you guys even if I don't have kids and whatnot it's the type of thing where it's like life just gets crazy the older you get busier and everything and it's like that i mean that's partially why we get to do horror bites right is that (laughs) we can kind of fit that in in crunch time right and yeah it started as a thing that maybe it was like well this will be something that we can do that doesn't take up as much time as perhaps if we have to tackle like a 15 hour game or something and it ended up birthing so many miniature experiences that took you know, you could barely say they're a sitting because they're like 10 minutes long, right? It's basically yeah. like, oh, I could have uh, scrolled Instagram in the time it took me to beat this game. Exactly. And like Neil said, our game of the year list had one or two of those on it. And that was against these massive AAA experiences. And I think that it's a testament again to just people that have grown up with games, now making games and have that interesting insight. And they're drawing from, you know, a lifetime almost in some cases of horror or just, you know, I guess media in general, right? Ingesting different types of media, different types of interests and seeing how they're able to take that and really make this experience that doesn't have to be very long, but in that experience itself is indicative of somebody that's incredibly passionate and has this creativity that until previously perhaps was not being tapped uh, in a certain way or, you know, at least maybe not satiating the horror appetite of some of us in a way that exactly. only this person could. Right. And, and even to take like uh big award shows, like the game awards, for example. Right. I mean, with Jeff Keighley, yeah. um, when, when they came out to that, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be just like the Oscars. They're just going to represent films that are dedicated to, to whatever they, for, for them initially. And yeah. that was quite the opposite when it, it shocked me. 2021. It takes two. When they won game of the year, my mind was blown and I was like, holy shit, this is what studios such as them can do. And 
exactly being able to take a very quick experience and sorry i know we're very off layers of fear but <laughs> being able to take, <laughs> take this experience and and um you know cube it down to to where you are you are really allowing a very unique opportunity to where i just recently played it last year um and uh it was fantastic for me and my wife you know like it, it was someone actually I was, uh, the review I read for it, <clears throat> excuse me, was actually really cool. Uh, I, I don't remember where I saw this review, but it was from two people who played it together. And so they reviewed it together. And I thought that was really cool. But um, they had probably the best way of saying this was this pretty much was a experience like building Ikea furniture, but fun. <laughs> and I, I, was, I i initially like once i read that i was like i'm in like that sounds cool yeah. and i never played it i had it and i just never played it uh, and my wife and i just never had a chance to really get to it but then when it won game awards i was like i need to revisit this damn game like i need to like we need to fire this up and it was awesome like we spent yeah. at least an hour in the chess segment just playing chess and talking <laughs> like, you know, like we were just having a conversation and playing chess against each other. And until we were just like, oh, wait, we're not even done with the game yet. Like we got to finish the game. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's experiences such as that, that a lot of people are missing out on when they choose to go this very minute route of like these are the only types of games that i want to play and that's fine and you know that's that's how you get bored and irritated with those games though right like how many times have we heard the story of like oh call of duty is not the same no call of duty is exactly the same that's why you're bored you've got older you change that's it (laughs) call of duty is exactly the same that is exactly why you're bored with it if you expand that you'll find some more nutrition out of things like call of duty again yeah. And those people are telling on themselves with the fact that they are burnt out on their own experiences because <laughs> exactly. of the fact that they don't want to experience something new. But yep. to the same degree, you know, it's that's people's if people are totally cool with sticking with what they've been playing all along and they're not burnt out on it, that's cool. But right. it's the type of thing, though, that, we, you know, when people such as ourselves that are so inundated with multiple layers of types of games and experiences and whatnot, it's like, oh, no, when you, you know, anybody thinks that a, uh, you know, a pool is deep, if that's the extent of they've never left the shallow end, right? right? And so it's the type of thing that if you're willing to broaden your horizon or even just take a risk on something like layers of fear, let's say, that is going to be the shorter experience. It's the type of thing, though, where it's like, perhaps that will be the gateway, if you will, into this new wonderful world of not only just, you know, indie horror, but in terms of horror that could be in a different facet, perhaps, or a different type of experience. Um, And, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about doing a horror podcast every week and getting to highlight games that sometimes one of us will nominate something to cover that the other one's either never played or, you know, we make a point to, uh, especially with Horror Bites, where we pick these little bite-sized experiences. It's like, oh, let's, if the cover art looks cool, we're going to pick that for one of our picks for the month or going out of our way to pick things. Exactly, exactly. That's the vision for it. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. It's been a really wonderful thing where it's like just taking a gamble on something and more often than not, it's something that has left somewhat of a, uh, you know, uh, its stamp, if you will, on the genre, whether it's gameplay mechanics, whether it's aesthetic, 
And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a wonderful time to be a horror gamer as, you know, biases that sounds. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> it really is though, beyond like the obvious. And I, having had that time uh, being a games editor at Bloody Disgusting and seeing that kind of comment, which is no different from like the movie side of thing, really, where you get those people that are like, there's nothing good coming out anymore like that because they only <laughs> like, they like, they know three things and that's it. And it's like, well, it isn't like, it isn't like thing A, B or C, so it can't be any good like that. And the old, you know, it isn't scary, so it can't be horror thing, which is just maddening. Oh my it, gosh. In so many ways. Yeah. It, and games just get that so much worse as well because it's like oh it can't be a horror game it's not scary it's it's got a bit of horror like that and that drives me mad because they're just as we're talking about a game right now which inherently isn't really scary yeah you know and that's because we like well indoctrinated into what horror is but also because i just played it in front of a seven-year-old this weekend and they were (laughs) It, it but they liked what it did, you know, the, yeah. the things it did. And I think that's what's important. You know, it's like you can get feelings out of a game different ways and you can get horror based feelings in so many ways. And it is refreshing, I think, when you can just sort of explore this sort of wider world of it. Also, I'll know we have almost talked about it now for two hours and at no point have any of us been like this moment scared the shit out. Like that is very <laughs> much the something that Neil and I have strived to not allow this podcast to become also is like this moment's the scary. Like that's not the kind of conversations no. we have anyways. No. And that's not really, you know, it's very rare. I think when you sit down with somebody that's a fan of horror and they immediately are like, oh, this terrified me. Right. I think that there are definitely, especially like with film and things like that, there's moments, but I feel like when a horror fan, uh, much like yourself, Prince, would come to me and be like, oh, this is like, this scene is terrifying. When a real horror fan says that, I know that this is a moment that right. like pushes that bar in another direction because so many f- conversations revolving around horror, it's not this sort of like reductive thing where it's like, oh, well, we're going to measure this on the merit of scary right. because yeah. horror is so much more than that, as we all know, right? And exactly. I think that hopefully people are uh, maybe once the Oscars actually begin to uh, respect the genre, uh, <laughs> maybe that will help the masses, you know, view the genre as something more than just, uh, you know, it's oh, it's all about scares and it's all about you know not being able to sleep after you see it, which right. is yeah. not really it's not really the metric that I rate or review anything by. Uh, right. It's just a uh, you know the cherry on top, if you will, of what a piece of media set out to do. Exactly. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, man, this was such a pleasure getting to pick your brain about layers of fear. <laughs> yeah. You getting to, you know, detail one of what is still, I think, the one of the coolest gigs I've ever heard, <laughs> horror movie consultant on a video game. Um, but we're just so uh, pleased to get to have you on and get to chat about this, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you both so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast. I don't get invited to video game podcasts often, so it's always great to talk about my, my second love in life for sure. Like, I, you know, I love video games. <laughs> just as much as I love horror films. So it's always really cool to, to chat about them and, and, you know, just talk heavily about them as well. Um, so yeah, by all means, thank you all so much for inviting me. Uh, I would love to come back if y'all wanted me back a little bit later in the year or something as well. That, this was an absolute blast. <laughs> yeah, man, we would love to have you back in the future to chat. But before I let you go, I would love to give you a chance to uh, plug your podcast, which I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar <laughs> with, but I still want to uh, I want to give you a moment to uh, let them know where they can find it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, so you can find my podcast, uh, Nightlight 
at Horror Movie Podcast. That's like with a K as well. Um, you can also uh, find me on Twitter at The Head Knight, also with a K. So if you want to talk about horror films, you just want to chat in general, let's do it. Uh, my DMs are always open for everybody. So always down to chat about horror or whatever you want to talk about. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, man. This was awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. You can drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.